Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Chaplaincy on the Go podcast. I'm your host, Josh Zorhoff, and I am a teaching pastor and a therapist in the West Michigan area. And this is a special podcast, one that's a little more unique and sensitive, and it's been driven by a pretty significant event that occurred just a few days ago in the West Michigan area. A young man died by suicide, and it caused a pretty significant disruption in a local school. And I've had a few people reach out basically saying, hey, how, how do I talk about that with my, with my kid? How do I talk about that with my, with my son or with my daughter? Or how do I talk about that with some students in my life, whether, whether I'm a youth group leader or I'm a pastor? And because I've had a few people reach out, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to I'm going to record a podcast to talk about that so that one I can record this information, you can replay it, you don't have to worry about writing things down right away, and also uh, just practically speaking, um I don't I don't think it's going away anytime soon. We know statistically research shows that uh one man dies globally every minute to suicide. And there's been an increase in mental health concerns in the West Michigan area, along with the rest of the country. We also know that younger men, uh, whether that is college and career age or even below, are, are increasing in their attempts and their loss of life to their battle of depression or emotional stuff. And I want to lean into that. I want to be helpful in that. And so here's a couple of things to think about. First of all, let me just, let me take a spiritual perspective. And for those of you who are not people of faith, just bear with me, but I think this is a really important conversation. There is no Bible verse. It does not exist that in any way suggests that a person who loses their battle to depression is automatically damned to hell. And that's really strong. And so I, I want to be just really clear on that. There's a reason why I'm saying that as strongly as possible, because over the years I've encountered a number of individuals who held some sort of belief or understanding that that suicide was in some way a unforgivable sin. And it is not in our Bible. It is not in the Word of God to in any way suggest that. In fact, I would argue that the opposite is probably more accurate, that God is close to the brokenhearted. God is close to those who are crushed in spirit. That those of us who struggle emotionally on the inside in ways that other people just cannot understand, God knows that and is close to you in that. And, and so I just want to be just really upfront. That's one of the questions that kids usually have. Our children usually ask, what does that mean for their eternity? And 
I would just encourage you, first of all, if, if a child asks you that, you can tell them there's nothing in the Bible that suggests whatsoever that that because this person lost their battle to depression and they died by suicide, there's nothing to suggest that they are in hell. Um, if anything, the Bible tells us that God loves and is close to the people who are struggling emotionally. And, and so I think that's really important. That's just, that's the first thing to consider. The second thing is don't, don't lead a child into questions. Don't lead a young adult into questions that they are not asking. Sometimes we, because we want to make sure that the children in our life or the students in our lives are okay, we, we start leading the conversation and that may actually cause more damage than we think. And it's unhelpful. First of all, grief is, is profound. Uh, my friend Deb Rink says that grief is universal, meaning we all feel it, but it's unique, meaning we all feel it differently. And so don't, don't assume that your grief is similar to the grief of the individual you're talking with or the questions that you're wondering or the questions that the other person is thinking about. And especially for us as adults, please don't assume that the questions we have are the same as the questions that children have. I usually suggest asking the child, do you have any questions? And you may not want to ask them. You may actually want to have them write it down. Maybe to offer them a journal or give them a couple pieces of paper and some time and just say, if you have any questions, feel free to write them down. Or if you're more comfortable, text them to me. Whatever you need to do to get those questions out there, I'm here to help. And I'm here to sit with you and, and answer any of those questions or wrestle through those questions together. But really just that first thought of, do you have any questions? And even, even before you think, think through things like, hey, how are you feeling about this? Or what are you thinking about this? Those can actually come off as, um, as an interrogation. And children, especially when they're going through a grief process or they're they're kind of caught up in that period of loss, they may feel like an, a question is, is targeting them or they may even feel like they've done something wrong. And so really just keeping it very simple, saying, hey, do you have any questions? And here's a journal or here's some paper. If you've got any questions, you can write them down. I'm here to help if you need it. Another thing that that parents especially worry about is if this happened to a child my child's age, could this happen to my child? Which is totally a normal question to ask. It's totally a normal thing to think. And though there are there are warning signs to suicide and and all of that, um, it's it's hard to know. Uh, the truth is, if it happened to one child, it could happen to another, and it does. So the answer. Sadly, and even even more specifically, is yes, this can happen to your child, and it and it happens to other people's children, and that's what's so scary about it. But we don't want to be governed by fear, and we don't want to live a life that is gripped in fear. If you are asking the question, "Could this happen to my child?" It already is evidence that you care about them and love them. And what they need from you is your love and your security and your safety and not your fear. 
So just be careful as you enter into that conversation that you're not asking these questions out of fear, but you're asking these questions out of love and concern. And as you lean in and as you engage in questions like, hey, do you have any questions? I'm here if you need it. You're not alone. Um, I'm scared too. Just remember that our modeling is really important. And so when you say things like, do you have any questions? Or I'm here if you need it. You can also follow that up with, I, I, here's a couple of questions that I've had in the past. And here's a couple of things that were a little maybe scary for me when I heard about this or when I think about that. And again, do that in a way where you're not leading them to share, but you're vulnerably sharing from your own experience. And you don't need to overshare. You can say one or two things and that's enough. And, and again, be careful not to answer questions that they're not asking, because a lot of times we, we over talk and we overshare with children, especially in situations of sudden loss or suicide, partly because we are scared and nervous and we don't know what to say. And so we just keep talking and talking and talking. And the more and more we say, the less and less they hear and understand. It is okay. It's okay to say, I don't know what to say. And it's really okay if you don't say anything at all. Sometimes what our children need from us the most is a faithful, loving presence to know that we're there and the space for them to work through their emotions in really healthy ways. And please remember that children don't always process best with a verbal conversation. Sometimes they do their best processing with things like Lego or Play-Doh or going outside on a walk or shooting hoops or anything that has activity, maybe drawing or coloring or painting. There are lots of different ways to help a child process through an emotional experience that don't involve verbal dialogue. As a therapist, I play a lot of games with kids. With my son, when he's had a rough day, he likes to build Lego and he likes to draw and sometimes he likes to he likes to paint or do a craft and that is okay. The main way that children experience the world, and this is true for children from 1 to 18, maybe even up to 28, the main way that they experience the world is through play and creativity. So having those outlets, having some supplies, whether, you know, you know your kid best. Do they like to draw? Do they like to run? Do they like to play basketball? The one thing I would say is like, try to keep them away from screens. Uh, screens are an escape. You may want to get a feelings chart. That's really helpful. I can put some links to a feeling chart in the podcast here, but just saying, hey, what, what emotion are you feeling? And if you follow the podcast, listen into our Raising Emotionally Strong Boys with David Thomas episode, because there's a lot of things in there as well that are really helpful. And then uh, just consider these steps uh, when you're going to talk to a kid about any kind of emotional experience, but specifically in sudden loss or suicide, first of all, you want to connect with them, meaning you want to make eye contact with them or you want to get down on their level. You want to enter into their world. If they want to go for a walk, you want to go for a walk. If if they want to do something while you're doing something active, like working on a project together, then do that. 
if they're drawing your drawing, if they're writing your writing, but you want to get down to their level, you want to make that connection, put away your cell phone, put away, have them put away their cell phone, no technology, technology free zone, make sure you that you're in a space that is conducive for honest connection and little disruption and distraction. And then the next thing you want to do is you want to see what their affect is, what their facial features are sharing with you or their body is showing you. If they look sad and withdrawn, then you probably shouldn't be like, hey, buddy, how you doing? And getting all perky like that's going to send mixed messages to them and it's going to communicate to them that you actually don't feel the same way that they feel. Try to match that affect. Try to match that emotion that they're showing on their face. And don't overdo it because then you're going to look like you're mocking them or in some way, but just meet them in that emotional level. Show them that you are making that connection with your face and your body language. And then you want to listen. Listen to what it is that they're saying to you. Listen not to respond. Listen to understand. A lot of times when we're listening, we're thinking about what we're going to say after the person has finished talking. That's the worst thing to do when you're trying to connect to a child. Listen and ask yourself the question, what is this child telling me? What are they really saying? I love what Brene Brown says. She says, I'm not here to be right. I'm not here to be right. I'm not here to be right. I'm here to get it right. Listen in a way that says, I got it right. I know what this child is saying to me. And then mirror to them. Mirror back what it is that you're seeing, sensing, and hearing. You can do that with your words. You can do that with your language. But if they do say something to you and you've got it clear, when you repeat back to them what it is that you've heard, do it in a way that's putting it in your own words or help them in some way to interpret what it is that they're talking about. You can learn a lot about these steps from Jennifer Kalari in her book, Connected Parenting. It's a super great resource. I'll put it in the podcast. It's actually where this C-A-L-M, connect, affect, listen, and mirror comes from. She calls it the calm technique. It was developed by her, and it is a superpower in connecting with kids and other people. And again, I'll put the link to that book into the podcast notes as well, but connect, match the affect, listen, and then mirror back what it is that you are hearing, seeing, feeling, and sensing from the child. And and then here's the last tip. Be patient. Most of the time when children experience a sudden loss, and this is true for adults as well, there's a two to three week period where we don't know what to feel. And our emotions are all over the place. And we're kind of like lost in the grief and it hasn't really set in yet. And so you may not want to have that conversation right away the next day or the next week. You may need some time with it. And it's better to have 10 short conversations than one long one and give it space. There's only so much emotional strength that a child has, only enough emotional tolerance to a season of grief. You can only be emotional and in a bad place for so long before your soul gets tired. And so just being patient and giving them the space and time to do that again, whether that's the question of how are you feeling or if there's a question of like, what are you, what are you thinking in this moment? Or what do you need in this moment? And you've got time to do that. Here's a journal. Do you have any questions? Just giving a child space 
to do that is going to be way more helpful than trying to force them through a conversation. A lot of times we want to rush through the process because it makes us feel better, but that's not always going to be best for the healing of the child. And so all of those coming together, just keeping in mind that it it may not may not be a one short conversation that does the trick, but at the end of it saying, listen, I'm here to talk if you want. I'm here if you have questions. I'm here for you no matter what. And I love you and the world needs you and you matter. You matter to me. You matter to God. You matter to your family. You matter to the people around you. You matter. That's what kids need to hear the most. And you don't need to have a master's degree in counseling to do that. You don't need to have a theology degree to do that. You need to be faithfully present. And then here's what I will say for those of us who are followers of Jesus. You have a power in the Holy Spirit that is there for you, and you can trust that power. If anything, if you get nothing else out of this this episode, listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to God and listen to the child. I am a huge believer that people will tell you what they need if you are patient enough to listen to what they have to say. And God will meet you in that and you can trust that. And so there you go. There's a couple of thoughts praying for you. If you've got any questions on this, you want to reach out about this, you'd like to talk a little bit more about how you can have a better dialogue with your children when it comes to emotional stuff. You can reach out to us at chaplaincy at fearlessfollower.org. You can also check out our website, fearlesschaplaincy.org. Love to connect with you. Love to talk. Praying for you. Grace and peace to you. And we will talk to you later. 